Good morning, Moore Tribe. Welcome to our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. If you have never been to Moore, we invite you to come through our doors and be greeted with love and kindness no matter who you are. To see what we're all about, you can visit our Facebook page or go to our website at ilovemore.org. You can also use the website to give online. We appreciate all your support, and we pray the presence of God would fill your home right now. Well, welcome back, church, uh, to our one of our last installments of Online Church. We are now going to be planning to meet live on August the 2nd, Sunday morning, 9 and 1030. Uh, realize that many of you will not be ready to come back at that time. I understand that completely. But I ask you to go to our website and listen to a short video that I made just explaining how we're going to come back. We're going to do it with a lot more caution this time, uh, just because we had hit a bump in the road on June 21st. So really encourage you to go and to, to listen to that and to just hear how we're going to make the attempt to have church a lot more safely. Uh, well, I'm excited to share with you this morning because I start a new series, and it's called What's Next? And I think that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. I know it's on my mind. It's like, you know, we've been through this pandemic, and we've been through this racial tension and the riots and, the, and all, just all the stuff that's, that's happening in this time, and it's such an unusual time. And I think everybody's kind of wondering, well, I wonder what, what's next? And so that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to instruct us in his word this morning. So, Father, we thank you for this time, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for just the way that you move and speak and, and just teach us, God. We know, Lord, that you uh, lead your children, and we are your children, and that you've given us your spirit to comfort us and guide us and to teach us. So, Lord, it says in your word that we should never be in the dark about the seasons that we live in, and so, Father, we come to you this morning, and we just thank you that you're going to be here with us to instruct us. And as we open your word, God, that you're going to just illuminate it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been hearing, like you've been hearing, uh, a new phrase. And it's, you know, this, this phrase that you're hearing everywhere is, this is the new norm. It's the new normal. I even heard somebody tell of some broadcast I was listening to, and this person said, the new normal for church is going to be online church. It's not going to be the congregation anymore. People are going to just go to church online. I, I don't believe that at all. I really don't. Number one, the word church in Greek means the assembly. So you have to have an assembly or you really don't have church. And so this idea that we're going to be in some new normal, this mentality that everything's going to just, you know, change, I just don't, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into it for several reasons, but the main reason I don't is because Jesus, while he was on the earth, he taught so much about the end times. Now, when I say end times, here's, I don't want to trip people up because a lot of times people think end times is the day that Jesus comes back and everything wraps up and the world ends and all that. I, when I talk about end times, I hope you understand that when Jesus taught about end times, it was relevant to every generation that's lived on the face of the earth. It's not, it wasn't just relevant for like the, a handful of people that are going to be living at the end of the end. He was talking about there's several times in history where people in the church are going to believe that they're in the end times, and they were. 
Many times people's civilizations ended, their countries ended, their way of life ended. There's many people that lost their lives in, in living for the Lord. There was lots of people that faced the end. And so when Jesus teaches us about the end, sometimes one person's end times is not another person's end times. Of course, Jesus is going to return to this earth physically, and of course, this thing is going to end here on earth. And I believe, and several other people believe, that we're closer to that day than uh, we can even imagine. But, you know, when we read something about the end times, and, and it doesn't happen in the next 10 years, somehow people, you know, they start to almost scoff at it a little bit. But I'm telling you that the teachings Jesus had on end times are very relevant. And so what he was teaching about at the end times, he said that there were going to be societal changes. By that, there's going to be things happen in our society. They're going to try to change the focus of the believer and of the church. He, it, you know, kind of knock us off our game, so to speak. He talked a lot about end times in Matthew 24, he, several places, but Matthew 24 is a very uh, thorough passage that he taught about the end times. And he said this, he said in Matthew 24, verses 12 through 14, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, in the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, right here, you have to, you have to understand that he's talking about the end of the end. He's talking about end times. And he's saying that societal changes will become so wicked that people will abandon love for one another. You know, there's, there's this tendency to stop loving. And I don't know, you know, if you think about this, I've said it many times, God gave us the church to learn how to love. God gave us each other to learn how to love. And if we're not around each other, you really can't learn to love. And so because of the increased wickedness in the world, many people are choosing to stay away because of the increased wickedness. And when you hear wickedness, don't just think about sin. Think about disease. Think about violence. Think about uh, greed and corruption. Think about just on and on and on. There's so many things in society that become so increasingly wicked at the end that people just want to withdraw. They're like, ah, it's not worth it. I don't want to be a part of it. And they just stay home. It's kind of like what we've been doing lately. You know, because of the increase of this pandemic, because of the increase of the numbers that we see everywhere, everyone chooses just to stay home. Love no longer motivates us, fear motivates us, and we stay home. And that's what we've seen. And it's, it's kind of a tough deal. There's this tendency to withdraw from one another, to withdraw from church. And suddenly, we sit at home and we listen to the teachings over the podcast or over the internet, and we become hearers of the word and less and less doers of the word. But if you notice in these verses that in Matthew 24, 12 through 14, it's interesting because he talks about that state of the church. It's like increased wickedness, the love of people, it's growing cold. But then the next verse says, and this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So you see what's happening is on one hand, there's this tendency for the church to withdraw and to become cold. And on the other hand, the church is becoming more powerful and more aggressive in their evangelistic effort to tell, tell the world about Jesus' love and his grace. That's what we're in right now. We get to make a decision as children of God on the way that we live out these days. I said in my little video that we have to figure out how to do church in difficult times. This is a difficult time, and I feel a conviction from God that it's not time to continue to just shrink back, but it's time for us to go forward and to figure out how 
can we accomplish the great commission, the great, the great commandment, even in a difficult time? And that's what we're going to do. Jesus revealed all of this about the end times so that we could recognize the enemy's plan, so that we could know what the enemy was up to. He doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to be aware. And that's why over and over again, he said, I told you these things beforehand. He goes on in Matthew 24 and verse 24 and 25. He says this, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. This is a very interesting set of verses to me. False messiahs, false prophets appear and perform great signs, and the purpose is to deceive. You know, it's, it, it, I've lived long enough to see so many things come and go on the earth. And this pandemic is no different. These racial riots and uprisings are no different. Many times during difficult times, it gives a platform to people who didn't have a platform before. People become um, self-proclaimed prophets, self-proclaimed teachers. They try to explain what's going on. These difficult situations many times give an opportunity for various people to suddenly become voices of, a th voices of authority in the church and in people's lives. You know, we in the internet age, we have the uh, opportunity to do what Scripture warned us about at the end times. We have an opportunity to heap up teachers to tell us what we want to hear in our itching ears. Itching ears. It means that your ears are itching for some information. When, when we're in a difficult time, we become, a t we become information starved. We want to know some reasons that things are going on. And these false prophets have an opportunity to rise up in the middle of something like this and to have great influence, even in the church. And that's, that's a scary thing. James even warned us about it. You know, we studied James for all those weeks when we were first in the pandemic. In James chapter 3, he has a lot to say about this. James chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we, teach, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, this seems like a negative, negative verse, but it's, it's very enlightening. James is saying in the midst of difficult situations, many times people have this platform given to them because they, people wanna, they're so itching for information that people step into these roles as teachers or leaders and, and these authoritative voices, and they begin to teach people. They begin to tell them, why is this happening? That's the big question. Why is this happening? What's God saying? Why is God allowing this? You know? The next one, you know, who's to blame for all these hardships that are coming into our life? And many times these false teachers, these teachers that want to stand up in the church and begin to proclaim, oh, it's because of this and it's because of this, and they'll cite some prophecy or they'll cite some study that they've, you know, it's, they've just become an authoritative voice because this, this difficult time has given them a platform. The, the most damaging thing is, is when these teachers begin to tell us what we're supposed to do, you know, and that's why you have people going out and buying ammo and guns at a rate that's unprecedented. That's why you have people going out and, you know, putting alarms in their homes and doing different things. There's so much fear that's being released in the earth. You know, it's, there's these, these false teachers have taken this place of authority, and the worst thing about it is, is they're very influential in the church. 
In fact, many times people in the church step into that role. And James says, brothers and sisters, don't do that. Don't do that. That's a dangerous thing to do because you're incurring a stricter judgment. He goes on and explains this in just a minute later in the chapter. But this is happening so much today. It's a little disheartening to me. You know, conspiracy theories, they're everywhere. Blame, it abounds. And Christians are right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. Posting things that supposed experts have discovered these secret things that no one knows, but suddenly they're being divulged here on Facebook or on the Internet. I, you know, it's a little disheartening. I just want to give you a bit of advice. If these people were not an authoritative voice in your life before the difficult time, don't let them become an authoritative voice in the middle of your difficult time. It's, we're so susceptible because our ears are itching. We're so information-starved. I'm just giving you this, this gentle warning as a pastor to say, please, know your sources. Please, don't let people negatively influence you, and certainly don't let people bring you into fear. James goes on and says in James chapter 3, in verses 4 and 5, he says this. He says it's a small rudder that makes a huge ship turn around. Let's stop right there. Because we know from other scriptures and teachings in the Bible that the ship always represents the church. So when you hear this, you know that what he's saying is a very small thing can turn the ship, can turn the focus of the church wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. You see, in times like these, these, these opportunistic teachers, these false prophets, and they, they come to the platform and they make these grand speeches and it says they can actually turn the focus of the church away from what Jesus said that the greatest thing is love, and they turn it to something else. You, you almost see this happening now. Did you notice the phrase in the middle of these verses? Even though the winds are strong, the tongue can still turn the ship, can still turn the focus of the church. The winds, rep rep they represent the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit's blowing through the church. We have an opportunity in these times to become stronger and greater. We saw it in what Jesus taught. We have the opportunity of coming forth and, and being more full of love, more full of opportunities to share the gospel. But if we listen to these false teachers, if we listen to these false teachings, we can actually be turned away from the wind of the Spirit and away from our purpose and be directed in the wrong direction. Brothers, sisters of this church, we have a responsibility as God's children to speak in agreement and with alignment to the Word of God. And I know, it, I know it's hard. It's hard to stay positive. When we look at all the numbers of this COVID, it's like it won't ever go away. And we listen to the news and the politics and, the, and all the stuff happening in our country. It just seems like it's being torn apart. It's, it's hard to be positive. You know, the natural and normal thing to do is, is kind of to speak negatively or to, you know, start to blame people. But we can't do it. We don't have that option. We as God's representatives on the earth, we have a different goal. We have a different purpose. 
Our purpose is to love to the end. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, those that endure to the end will be saved. Endure in what? He said, not letting your love grow cold. We don't have the option. We have to find God in the middle of everything that's going on. Let me give you another point that I believe is very important during these times, that it's not important at all that we find out who's to blame or the reason things are going like they're going. That is not important at all. Jesus, in, in John chapter 9, he met a man that was born blind from birth. He was born, born blind. And his disciples, they wanted to affix blame. They came to Jesus and they said, well, Jesus, this man was born blind. Why was he born blind? Was it his sin or the sin of his parents? Now, I want you to hear what they said. They said, let's look back, Jesus. Let's look, you know, he's born blind. He's laying there. He's begging. He's having a difficult time. Let's look back at the reason for his situation. You see, that's what we do in difficult times. We see the difficult times, the suffering going on around us, and we want to go, okay, well, this has got to be the blame. This has got to be the reason. And it's interesting that they wanted to blame the victim. Isn't that awful? They wanted to blame the man that was born blind, having such a terrible life. Let's, let's blame the victim. But that's what I hear Christians doing. That's what I hear these, these teachers doing today, is let's blame the people. Let's blame the sin of the country, or the, you know, there's too many abortions, and God's pouring out wrath, or there's so much immorality, and God's trying to get our attention. You know, Jesus did not buy into that at all. This is what he said. They said, is it Who's to blame here? And this is what Jesus said. I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. He said this. This happened that the works of God could be displayed in him. This happened so the works of God could be displayed in him. What a great answer. Jesus didn't want to look back. He didn't want to play the blame game. He didn't want to answer any of these goofy questions that didn't matter at all. He said, let's look forward to the solution. Let's look forward to what I'm going to do. God's going to get glory out of this thing, and I want to say that about this pandemic. I want to say it about this racial tension. I want to say it about everything that we're seeing in this world today that's bringing so much anxiety and so much fear and so much stuff into the church. I want to say this. This happened, that the works of God can be displayed in this country, in this church, in this world. We should learn from Jesus. We should learn from Jesus on how to handle things like this about the blame game. We also should learn from the early church. They had the same situation. There was this guy named Agabus. He was a, he was a prophet. And it said that uh, one, of the, one of these prophets named Agabus stood up in front of the meetings, that, one of the meetings, a church meeting they were having, and he predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the whole Roman world. And this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. Now, now, put this in today's situation. A great famine is coming, and it came. But I did not hear one single person in the church raise up a question of why is this famine happening? Explain this to us. There was no one that stood up and said, well, no wonder the Roman government is being judged by God because this, the, the emperor claims to be God himself. And so, you know, it's like, let's just blame that. They didn't do that. 
They didn't blame that. They didn't, they didn't say it was judgment or punishment. They didn't talk about anybody's sin. They also didn't do this. They also didn't say, God's sending this famine to bring a revival to the people. God's sending this famine so the people will recognize and will have mass repentance. They didn't say any of that. You know why? It wasn't important. What was important? Well, look at the last sentence. So all the believers in Antioch decided to send some relief to brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. Wow. Instead of affixing blame, instead of looking for all these reasons that something might be happening or might not be happening, they decided how they would minister in the midst of the famine. Exactly what we're called to do. If we spend all of our time getting into these conspiracy theories and these silly blame games and different stuff, we will miss the opportunity that God is giving us as a church to reach the world for Christ. That's what we're called to do. Our mission has never changed. We have that responsibility as God's children to minister, to look for solutions and not to find fault or fix blame. We are to speak words that bring life and not division. And Jesus has prepared us for these difficult times. He's prepared us by saying, when these times come, I've told you they're going to come. I want you to stay steadfast in love, regardless of what's going on in your world, regardless of the, your way of life is coming to an end or a change, or regardless of what you've always known as normal is no longer normal. That doesn't matter. The new normal is not going to affect you because you live by the old standard of the Word of God. You live by the standards Jesus established to love others as you love yourself. History tells us that during epidemics, for years, thousands of years, plagues in the past, it was the Christians that ministered to the dying, even while other people abandoned cities, abandoned areas, ran from the plagues. Christians stayed and ministered. It happened time after time after time, even to the point where many of them got sick and died themselves. <clears throat> it was the church that stayed and helped when everybody else moved away. That is our call. It's our call to minister to the world. It's our call to minister to one another. And we're going to be steadfast in doing that. I want to end today with a story out of the Word. And I think it's a very important story for the time that we're living in. It's out of Ezekiel chapter 37. And most of you will know this story as I read it. It's about the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, when I read this, we now start reading about these, these bones, these dry bones that are in Ezekiel. You have to know that he, he's writing this about Israel. At the time that he was writing this, Israel was in exile. Their country had been decimated, destroyed. It wasn't even a country at all. You could say it was a nation that was dead. And that's why they're calling it dry bones. He was talking about Israel. It was a time that was more difficult than anything we've ever experienced by far. But he's saying these words, and they apply to us, because we too are going through a difficult time, and we too have seen our economy uh, messed up, maybe even damaged badly. We've seen different businesses go out, different people having hardship. We've seen people lose loved ones and people that get extremely sick. There's been a lot of hardship going through this thing. So in a lot of ways, when I say what's next and we're looking forward, you look at all this negativity out there in, in, in our world and you realize that it's, it's like a whole way of life seems to be dead. 
And so you'll say, what's next? Well, I say, let's see what Lord, the Lord says about what's next. It says, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath in you and make you live again. I'm going to put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke that message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. Bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed over and covered their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and the breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army, a great army. You see, when you read that passage of Scripture and you realize we're in difficult times, there's a couple of ways you can go. And he draws out two very important facts, Ezekiel does, the Word of God does. Two important facts that we need to remember. It matters what you think. When God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? He wasn't asking for information. He was asking if Ezekiel agreed with him that these bones could live again. And I just want us to look at that. Can God put our world back together again. Do we really believe that? Because it's important what we think. Some of you have allowed negative thoughts, negative things to dominate your mind. You have. And you've become very hopeless. You've become even depressed and in despair. Now, I want to say this, and I want to say it in love, but friends, it's time to repent. It's time to change the way you think. God says, can these bones live? We have the, the obligation as God's children to believe in God. He can do the impossible. You know, Ezekiel, he, he, was, he didn't know what to say. He said, only you know, Lord, because he thought, well, if I say no, they can't live, then I'm saying God's not possible, it's not possible for God to do anything. And if I say, yes, they can live, then I know I'm saying something that I don't believe is humanly possible. Well, you see, that's where we're at. Humanly possible, our world is a mess. And I don't think there's anybody out there that knows how to fix it. But God knows how to fix it. And God has a plan. God has a, God has a way of fixing things. Micah 7, 7 says this. It says, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. All the people and the prophets and the politicians and the conspiracy theorists are telling us how bad things are and how bad they're going to be. But I can tell you this, God's word tells us that no matter how bad a situation is, that we should have hope and confidence that God can see us through. So what are we going to believe? What are you going to believe? Because it really, really, really matters. 
is this disease just too strong for us? Is this pandemic just never going to go away? You know, is the deep state too powerful that people don't know uh, if, if we can ever get away from it or anything? I mean, there's just, there's so many things that kind of just kind of implode down on top of people in this time. I just want to read some word of the, word of the Lord over, over us today, because this is the truth. Proverbs 4.23, above all, be careful what you think because your thoughts control your life. It matters what you think. And that's what he was saying to Ezekiel. We are to be positive, spirit-filled, spirit-led believers, and our thoughts have to agree with the fact that God can and will do impossible things. That's what he does. He only does wonderful things, it tells us in Psalms. So yes, we all know God can fix this world. But do you know what? He won't fix it without using us. That's the way he's always been, and that's the way he'll always be. We have that responsibility of getting things back in order. And our responsibility starts with a positive expectation. It actually starts with faith. We're to live in faith. So the next thing, it matters what we think. And the next thing he's saying, it matters what you say. It really, really matters what we say. In Ezekiel 37, 4, God told Ezekiel, you prophesy to these bones and you say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That, I can't stress how powerful what God's saying there is. When we see a situation that's dead, when we see a situation that's hopeless, we're to find the word of the Lord over that situation and we're to declare it in agreement with God. That is powerful. And I'll tell you what, this situation, any of these situations that we've described today, they're not the end of the story. God's word is the final word. It says in Psalm 130, verse 5, I'm counting on you, Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I have put my hope in God's word. So I say this, begin to prophesy to this land, begin to prophesy to our city, begin to prophesy over just anything in your life that you know seems impossible. Yes, this pandemic seems like it goes on and on and on. We as the church are to stand up and begin to declare the word of the Lord that Jesus came and he took all disease upon himself and by his stripes we've been healed. That healing is ours by faith and we're to believe that and we're to declare that over each other and over our city and over our world. We as the church must stand up in faith and begin to believe the word of God because the word of God is true. All this racial unrest, we know that it keeps raising its ugly head, all this prejudice and all these problems, you know, but it's not the final word. It's not the final destination. God, like Tauderk did a great job last week talking about that we're all just human beings, all human beings. There's only one race, and it's the human race. And what God will bring us all together as one. There's so much in his word about bringing different kinds of people together and making them one in him. That's what he's going to do. Declare the word of the Lord over this racial unrest. It is not the end of the story. All this rioting, all this looting, all the anarchists, it's just so much stuff that's just gone on in the world. And we as a church have a responsibility to prophesy God's word over this, to speak truth and to bring it to an end. You know, I'll just tell you this far too. Some of you are hearing this, 
And, and you know, you, you may be in a marriage that's just dead. It may be something that just seems impossible. And maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed about it. But I just want you to go back to this story in Ezekiel 37 and realize even if your situation is impossible, it's dead. Look at what God says. First, believe that God can change it. And second, find a word out of this book. Find God's word and begin to declare it over your marriage, over ministries, people that think their ministries are dead. Begin to declare it over your relationships, broken friendships, lost friendships, anything where you feel like there's something dead that needs to be revived. And lastly, I'm going to say here, we can speak it over dead churches. We can speak it over the church that needs to come alive in this generation and become powerful and not weak and afraid. A church that becomes with, with answers and with being able to bring God's word and God's peace and solutions to all these situations if we would just walk in the, in the spirit and not in the flesh. So church, I encourage you, I encourage you to change the way you think, to begin to line up with God and don't allow any authoritative voice in your life that wasn't there before this all started. I just ask for you to just uh, go to the Lord in prayer, go to the Lord in his word, and let God's spirit lead you and guide you and bring you peace. And then I just pray that we would not look at any situation as hopeless, but we would always know there's an answer because God does the impossible always. I love you all. I, I so miss you. I look forward to August 2nd. And when we start this time, our desire is to start and not stop again. So you pray in agreement with me on that, and we will go forward together in this and become who we're created to be. I love you and see you soon. God bless. Amen. Seeking you as a prayer.
to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in